0: Hello, I'm Jim Richards, and this is Impact Ministries Cyber Church. Cyber Church is just what it means. You know, the early church... Changed over the years, and it changed to minister to people the way that made ministry the most effective. Now I realize this doesn't give you the opportunity to worship together with other people and to fellowship. But you know something, you can do that through an impact group or through a local church or whatever. But you know something, this is where we're coming together because we are committed to being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be talking to you. I call this the Confessions of a Persuaded Heart, man. This is a power tool for making decisions. One of the most powerful power tools that I've ever presented. And I've taught this over the years. I've seen thousands of lives change in this. So you want to get your pen, your paper, your Bible. You want to get ready to make this journey with me. I'll be back in just a few minutes. And remember, all of these messages are www.impactministries.com. This is usually the part where I give you the opportunity to download a free message. But this month, I am going to let you download an entire complete free series, one of my very best series on goal setting. It's called Power Tools for Goal Setting. I'll tell you, this is the stuff I teach people in workshops and charge a lot of money for it in businesses so people can learn how to live their dreams. The special offer that I'm gonna have for you this month, Choose Life, is a great series and you're gonna need this information, but this series on goal setting Really, you just need it. You just need to have it along with this information. So I don't want you spending that much money. I just want to give it to you. And the only way you can get this is to download my free mobile app and to say yes to the push notifications. Or if you already have my mobile app, go in and check yes to the push notifications so that we can be sure and get this to you. This is gonna help you live your dreams. We're still talking about the supernatural power of making decisions because you know what? Four messages in January, that's just not enough. And I'm trying to give you all that I can give you so that you can make decisions, whether those decisions are New Year's resolution or whether those decisions are just individual life decisions that you've got to make day by day. And all of this, remember, revolves around choosing life, about becoming deliberate in every situation to choose life. That means I'm gonna choose to be able to pay my bills and be able to take care of my family. And you're sitting there going, yeah, but Jim, you don't understand. I don't have a job, I'm out of work. You know what, you still have to make a decision for life so that you can open your heart to the ideas that God is gonna give you, so you can hear the leadership of the Holy Spirit that's gonna tell you where to go and who to connect with, And so that you can still get these supernatural ideas. Let me tell you something. In the days that we live in, if you can't hear the Holy Spirit whenever you hit these hard times and follow a plan, you're going to end up being a servant to the government. You're going to end up depending on the government to take care of you. And I got news for you in the not too distant future. That's going to be one of the most devastating decisions that you would have ever made in your entire life. Now, you have to make the decision for life. You have to make the decision. See, just like in Jesus, we have abundant life. He came that we might have life to have it more abundantly, but even though He's given it freely, it doesn't mean we have it. It starts with the decision, and then the decision opens your heart, which leads to believing and which leads to a whole process of making a journey to that end. Now, you may have already made resolutions that you've broken, You may have already failed, but I want to tell you something. First of all, the mark of the righteous is not that they never fall. The mark of the righteous is that when they fall, they get back up. So in this message today, I'm going to be sharing with you about how to make one more step into your decisions in a way that you see them through until the end. And also, if you're wavering about your New Year's resolution, if you're wavering about any life decisions that you have recently made, then I'm going to help you get back up. I'm going to give you steps to follow. I'm going to give you things to put in place, but it's always going to be from a heart perspective. Now, I want to talk to you first and foremost about the affirmations or confessions because really this message today is titled Confessions of a Persuaded Heart, and that may not make any sense to you at all, but it's really important from a biblical point of view. Now, you may be like a lot of people who back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, with all the emphasis back in those days about confession, you may have been like a lot of people were where you may have really damaged yourself and damaged your hope and even damaged your heart by attempting to make positive confessions or scriptural confessions or affirmations or whatever you choose to call them. Now, Like so many truths, it's in the Bible. We can't throw confession away because confession is in the Bible, but Most of what we react to, see, when groups take something out of context, like when people translate grace as mercy, and then suddenly people who believe in grace think that sin is okay, it just doesn't matter what you do. When somebody takes confessions and translates that into something that you do to get God to respond to you, that's just dead works. And so you just throw that away. But the problem is... It's still in the Bible. It's all right to throw away the misuse of something. It's all right to throw away the wrong interpretation of something, but I want you to understand something. It's never all right to throw away the truth, and you can't use how people misuse the truth and twist it to truth. You can't use that as your excuse to reject anything that's in the Bible. I want to tell you something. Studies now show that positive affirmations only work for about 15% of the population. And this means that the other 85% of the population Positive affirmations or positive confessions, even though they're scriptural, have a negative effect on the person. And the reason they have a negative effect on the person is because inwardly they feel like they're lying. And the truth is they are lying. You know, the word confess means to say the same thing. More than anything else, that is saying the same thing that's in the Bible, but it's also saying the same thing that's in your heart. You see, True confession comes from a heart that has been fully persuaded. In other words, we are to have the faith of God. That's how we're supposed to operate God. We're created in the likeness and the image of God. So we operate faith just like He did. So let's look at God's first recorded act of faith. Well, it's obviously in the book of Genesis where God was in creation mode and God said let there be light. And God said, so God said several things. You know, there are different Hebrew words that refer to saying something or to speaking something. And with one of them, the primary emphasis is to speak it out of your mouth. But With the other one, which is used in this situation here, the primary emphasis is to speak it out of your heart. It's about conceiving it in your heart first so that when it comes out of your mouth, it is empowered by the beliefs of the heart. You know, This is what Logos means. When the Bible talks about the Logos, the Word of God, you know, somehow or another, back in the 70s and 80s, people believed and were taught that Logos was the written word. There's nothing farther from the truth in that. Logos ends with the words that God spoke and they were written, so I understand that. But the primary emphasis of Logos is the wisdom, the logic, the character, the faithfulness. In other words, all the things that took place in the heart of God before the word was spoken and written down. And as believers, we have to function just like God. See, confessions do not give us faith. And that's what we were taught back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, is that if you confess something long enough, you know, one version of it is, if I confess it long enough, God's gonna do it. Another version of it, if I confess it long enough, I'm gonna get faith. No, confession does not bring faith. Faith is the product of being fully convinced or fully persuaded. Now, we can persuade ourselves to believe a lie just as much as we can persuade ourselves to believe the truth. But we want to be those who believe the truth, and we take that truth, and we can admit, you know, intellectually I believe that, but I don't really believe that in my heart yet. This is not how I see myself. I don't see myself living this truth. I'm not unshakable and, or immovable about this truth. You know, Romans eight thirty eight. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can quote that scripture all you want to as a confession, but I got news for you. If you're facing death for your faith, being able to say that verse is not going to help you unless like Paul said, I'm persuaded. I'm fully persuaded in the heart. See, we want to be persuaded of God and His promises. This must be the basis of our pursuit of goals and dreams. Now, persuasion comes by gathering the facts, gathering the evidence. And we've talked about this before. This is the heart of being spiritually minded or carnally minded. This is the heart of how faith emerges, and that is that we persuade ourselves by gathering evidence. See, we've been taught that faith was blind. I got news for you. Faith is not blind. Faith is the immovable trust based on the evidence that you have to trust, the evidence that you have to believe. And the problem is we don't know how to gather evidence. But you know what? If you'll come back for my next segment, I'm going to talk to you about how to gather evidence. I'm going to give you a good mentoring moment about how to put this into practice, and your life's going to change. Our offer for this month is the supernatural power of making decisions. And it is an incredible, incredible offer that's going to help you make a journey into a whole new quality of life. But I want to give you for free a power tool for goal setting package that's going to help you. It's going to work with this series that we have. And the way you get that for free is to download my mobile app and turn on the push notifications. Or if you already have my mobile app, turn on the push notifications and we're going to send this out to you. It's going to change your world. All right, so Paul, he was able to face life and death, persecution, imprisonment, rejection by his countrymen. He was able to face all of these hardships. Why? Not because he could quote a verse, but because he was fully persuaded about the character of the God who gave him that verse. You know, we have been taught just about, you know, faith in the Word, and that's sort of true, sort of easy to misunderstand because the truth is faith is not about just believing the Word of God. Faith is about believing in the character and the faithfulness and the love and the goodness of the God that spoke that Word. You know, you can believe the Word of God, but if you don't believe in the character and nature of God, if you don't believe in the covenant that we have with Jesus, then how you try to bring that Word to pass into your life can become something very negative and very legalistic. So it's not just believing believing in the word. It's believing in the God of the word. You know, Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Do you get that? It is evidence. And so faith comes and faith becomes the source. It becomes this stability. It becomes this foundation. It becomes this substance because we gather evidence until we reach a place that we become immovable. Now, you know this if you've heard me talk about this. You gather that evidence by getting into your heart and allowing. The same way God created the world, he conceived it in his heart first. It was established in his heart. He saw it. He knew it. It was undeniable to him. And that's the way it's got to be with us. We start out with the promise of God and we back that up with what the character of God, but then there's got to become some place where that becomes the way we see and experience ourselves. You know, Abraham is our model of faith. You know, first God, And then God uses Abraham to show us our model of faith. And man alive, if you knew the history of Abraham, you know, Abraham was surrounded by a world of Nephilim. As a child, his life was threatened by Nimrod. Uh, Abraham grew up in a world that was full of Nephilim that worshipped other gods, that hated Jehovah, hated him, and would have killed him at the drop of the hat. But man, he was immovable about God. He had to stand up against what his family believed. He had to stand up against what his countrymen believed. But he connected to God. Now listen to this. He talks about Abraham in verse uh, 17 of of Romans chapter 4. And it says, in the presence of him whom he believed." So Abraham believed God. He didn't believe the sun God. He didn't believe Ra. He didn't believe Nimrod. He didn't believe Baal. He didn't believe their version of science and education and sociology and relationships and how to live life. He believed God. And it says of God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, many times back in the heyday of the faith movement, people would quote this scripture and they would say this was referring to Abraham calling things which be not as though they were. It's like, no, it's not referring to Abraham. It's saying that God did that. Now, how did God do that? Well, I'll tell you how he did it. God did that by calling Abraham righteous, even though, in fact, Abraham wasn't righteous. But Abraham's faith counted as righteousness because his faith was his trust in who God was. Now in the new covenant, it's the same principle, but the difference is we really are made righteous in Jesus. We are in him. We believe in him. We believe into him. We are baptized into his body as he is. So are we right now in this world. But the key thing is this, even though Abraham knew that he wasn't righteous. He knew his failures. And buddy, Abraham had a list of failures amazingly long that we tend to overlook and tend to never factor into his walk with God. And even though he could see all of these faults in himself, all these failures, he chose to see himself as God saw him. And he chose to see and trust in and embrace the promise, the end result of his life the way God saw it. So God calls those things that be not as other words. In other words, he sees and calls, identifies the end from the beginning. And this must be the model that we follow. We have to go to the Word of God and see if what we want to do is within the scope of God's promises. And if they are, then we have to call those things that be not as though they were. We have to perceive and perceive the end from the beginning. We have to have that promise or that end result come alive within our hearts now. Now it goes on of Abraham and it says, who, talking of Abraham, contrary to hope, in other words, he had no reason to hope, still in hope, in confident expectation, he believed. So Abraham, he had no reason to hope. I mean, understand, like I said, the whole world was filled with godlessness. Abraham was surrounded by Nephilim. As a matter of fact, the promised land that God told him to go and inhabit was completely saturated with people who worshiped Baal, who worshiped various gods that all linked back to Nimrod and all linked back to Lucifer. But there were giants in the land. There were beings that were almost like supernatural beast, and God told him to go to that land, and God told him that in that land, he would become the father of many nations. You know, that his offspring, and we know this is not just his literal offspring, but his spiritual offspring would be like the stars of the sky. There was no reason to hope in that. There was no reason to expect in the natural that that could happen, but in hope, he believed. That word hope means confident expectation. So that he became the father of many nations according to the word that was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, Abraham kept hope alive. But now let's see how. In verse 19, it says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, let me tell you, when you study that in the original language, it doesn't mean that he didn't even factor that in that he was 100 years old and that Sarah was, you know, her womb was dead. They never had children. It basically, it doesn't mean he hit his head in the sand. It means that once he considered this in light of who God was, in light of the promise of God, basically he didn't consider that into the equation. But it doesn't mean he ignored it. it doesn't mean he was in denial. It means he looked at it and looked at God and said, you know what? God is the determining factor here. So he turned hope To faith. Verse 20 says this. He did not waver at the promise of God. See, faith doesn't waver. Faith doesn't give up the promise. He didn't waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, that word glory comes from the word doxa, which is, you know, the splendor, the greatness, giving honor, giving praise, giving glory to God, you know. But also, that word doxa means view, opinion, and reality, Now, one of the most powerful ways of worship, if it really comes from your heart, is when we believe and acknowledge back to God what He has said to us or what he has said in his word. You know, there's no higher praise than saying, God, I know that you're faithful. I know that you can be trusted. I know that every promise that you gave is absolutely sure. I'm laying hold to that as my own. And and even though there's no reason to hope, even though I can't see anything in my life that says this can be real, I'm going to have hope because I am going to fully persuade my heart. Now, let me tell you something. Just the fact that we acknowledge God's truth as being the absolute reality becomes a part of that convincing. Verse 21 says, and being fully convinced or fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. Man, I want to tell you something. He exalted God until his own personal reality aligned itself with God's own personal reality. Now, here's the kicker. Remember, we said that God in the beginning, he conceived the world. Do you realize that God had to work out every mathematical equation for the entire universe to work the way it works? Every biological function and factor, how the universe would actually rotate, how the earth would rotate. God had to work out every equation of physics and geometry in his own heart before he actually spoke that forth. But once it was conceived in God's heart, then God said. Remember, the key thing is that he said it in his heart. So that saying it in his mouth was just saying the same thing that was in his heart. I want to tell you something. We want to meditate on. We want to ponder. We want to see and imagine ourselves live in our goal. That's where we gather evidence that persuades our heart. We want to acknowledge the glory of God. We want to give glory to God. We want to see His view and opinion of us, even when we can't see it, even when we're struggling, even you know, with failures, personal failures. We're not going to get past those personal failures by seeing ourselves as we are now. We've got to see ourselves as righteous and godly and holy. You know, we're living in a day where a lot of people say, you know, here's the way you deal with this. When you got failures, you just say this doesn't matter. God loves me. I want to tell you something. That's burying your head in the sand, and your life is going to get worse because you're accepting where you are. You're saying that where you are is fine, but when you can love and accept yourself where you are and know that God loves and accepts you where you are, but in your heart embrace who God says you really are, then I got news for you. That's a heart that can move ahead. That's a heart that confesses the truth that it's believing no matter what the situation says. Like. Listen, come back for a minute here in a moment. I'm going to give you some tips about what you can do to make this work. Don't forget, I've got a free offer for you this month, Power Tools for Goal Setting. I'm telling you, it's one of the best teaching series I've ever done on goal setting. But the way you get this is to download my mobile app and say yes to the push notification. That's the only way you can get it because it's gonna come to you through a push notification. Also, if you already have my mobile app, Be sure and go back and make sure you have turned on the push notifications. I got a lot of things I'm going to be sending you to help you fulfill your goals, but you got to have the app to get it. This year, we're advancing our operation 1 billion. In other words, we are really stepping it up so that we can reach 1 billion people for the Lord Jesus with the gospel of the kingdom. Now, Jesus said that before He can return, the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to the ends of the earth. Not just the gospel of conversion, not just talking about Jesus, not just talking about getting saved, but the gospel of the kingdom. That's where Jesus is Lord. That's where we enter into this realm called the kingdom of God. That's where we usher in the return of the Lord Jesus to establish his kingdom here on earth. I am so excited about what we're going to do this year. Listen, if you've got my mobile app, you're going to be getting testimonies that will tell you about what's happening around the world as we're training people in Operation 1B. Or if you sign up for our blog or sign up for all of our notifications online, you can get this. I want to keep informed. I want you to see what's happening. I want you praying for and giving for the very best things in the world to happen for us. Now, one of the things that's absolutely essential for you is for you to get it as clear as possible about what you're going to look like, feel like, how you're going to dress, how you're going to walk, all of these things. And I know this sounds crazy to you, but let me read you a scripture in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.2 says this. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on the tablets that he may run who.'" Reads it Now, a vision is just a picture or a sight or is the act of seeing something before it happens. Now, God can give you a supernatural vision, but you can create your own vision by taking God's promise and writing down. I mean, listen. Information, information, information. This is the one place information becomes important. Every detail of what you would look like, except don't make it where you're controlling how you're defining how you're going to get there. All you're defining is the end result. You never want to control the process because once you define the end result, and it's based on the promise of God, the key is going to be following the Holy Spirit as he leads you into that. Now, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18, and the King James says, where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law is happy. Now, that word vision, one source in the original language defines that as a clear mental picture. In other words, the way that you can keep from perishing or basically losing track is having a clear mental picture, a vision of you. So what you do is you write this down. I'm telling you, write a full page, two pages, and I encourage you to hand write it and cursive write it if possible. Some people don't cursive write anymore. Cursive write it, you know, however many pages, and then you can go type it later, but there's a reason for doing it in cursive. And then I want you to read that over and then close your eyes and begin to picture it. Close your eyes and begin to see it happen. And I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be like if you're lost somewhere and you have an indicator that says this is where you are, it's going to lead you to your destination.